Welcome, everybody, to the Lockdown Lakers podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am joined by Pete Zayas. Pete, we are uh, we're in summer mode. We made it. It feels good, man, especially with uh, this kind of optimism that we got going for us. I mean, it is uh, after all the dust settled, we got LeBron. We lost Julius along the way. And that's about it. I mean, there are one one year deals and whatnot and all that. But in terms of like the long term pieces and all that, it's nice to to have that and like for me it's like just visions of what it could be over yeah. the next six weeks or so or however long it is until training camp until we actually get to see what it actually looks like on the court it's just fantasizing for the next six weeks and <laughs> part of part of that's fun although in august i'll be totally stir crazy and ready for it to start you know me ever the optimist and uh <laughs> <laughs> is that what you are <laughs> <laughs> something like that my wife and i we went out to have a see this last weekend and that was at the time when like uh lakers reddit was setting up an entire <laughs> post about me that had like 120 comments or something like that by the uh, end of honestly it. dude i like it showed up in like three different places that i go to that like, like <laughs> i hate anthony Irwin. like some version of that was on twitter on reddit and on lakers ground like at some point in the in the last week i think so yeah what what do you do exactly like i don't see all of your jackassery um so uh (laughs) what what, like what what inspired this honestly i have no idea i wasn't very fond of the beasley signing i've i have been outspoken and and not liking the lance stevenson signing rondo i i can be convinced on and and javel mcgee i actually think is a good signing for the value um, but what you can't do is uh, criticize Magic Johnson or Kobe. Like those are the two things that as soon as you, as soon as I mention either of those guys, and and it's really kind of too bad because I had an article today drop um, where Jeannie Buss was talking about you know guys who are you, you're never going to be able to touch Kobe's legacy. Well, I put Magic above Kobe in like all time great Lakers stuff, and I put Jerry West above. I think Kobe has the greatest Lakers career ever. I think those guys are better Lakers, greater Lakers. They've offered more to the Lakers over the entirety of their life. And part of that is like those guys, Jerry West is what, 30, 40 years on Kobe? Mm-hmm. Magic has like 20 years. So so that's like the subject to change, but but anywho, but that's those are the two things that that tend to really if you if you go through especially Reddit, if you go through Reddit, it really shows up. This dude hates Kobe and and that's kind of that's the the basis of of the hatred, which is fine. That's fine. Do, do, do you hate Kobe, Anthony? I do. I I really no. <laughs> <laughs> this MF <or> man. <laughs> could could, no. could it be because perhaps this is a better off air conversation? So cut yeah. me off on this if uh, you don't want to do this on air. No. Could it be perhaps in your delivery of your criticism that that is where the uh, oh I could always work on my tone. I'm I, I can be <laughs> I can be really condescending and I'll I'll cop to that like I'll, I'll you know tone is always a is an issue but like the thing with I, I just. The thing I always tell people is like I don't worship at the altar of Kobe. That like he is infallible. Like that that thought process doesn't really work in my brain. I think he did some stuff off and on the court that is a little iffy. And then also the the contract kind of annoys me. And and the way he plays basketball. Like if I had a preference in the way I, that the game be played, I'm more of a LeBron guy. I'm more of a Magic Johnson guy. 
and whatever. It was effective. Can, can, so can he, right. That's the thing is that like, he was the best player on at least two of their title mm-hmm. teams. And like, for me, I, I don't know for me, like it doesn't have to be my way in order to, for it to be good. And I'm not oh, saying yeah. that's what you're, what you're uh-huh. saying. Right. But like, just because I, I'm trying to think of a player that ne- didn't necessarily do it. Hell, even the way the Lakers front office has put together the team this offseason, like I would have preferred a couple of different moves than, mm-hmm. than they could. They did. For me, it's not about like all it always being sunshine and lollipops. I criticize the, the team when I, I think it's worthy of it. But for me, like the way they put this team together, it deserves to be given a chance on the court. Yeah. With That's and fair. also contextualized with the idea of like when you only have one year contracts to offer since you're trying to hold off on you know, save salary for to sign a second max guy, you are limited in terms of who you can bring in. Now, does that necessarily mean it has to be Lance or I was fine with the Beasley signing, but I understand if, if mm-hmm. you weren't a fan of it. But like at the very least, even with Lance, like I'm not going to go too hard on it until I actually see it on the court because I've been wrong way too many times on how I think something's going to look versus what it actually ends up looking like. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 look, and and anytime I criticize the Lakers, anytime I criticize a guy that they draft, a move that they make, a player in particular, like I always make sure to offer up the disclaimer, I hope I'm wrong. Right? Like with the Dodgers earlier this season, I was hoping I was wrong and they have proven me to be wrong. Now, obviously the goal is not to be as wrong as often as is humanly possible, which which is, you know, become my brand, I guess. But but like I, I you know, it, it's so long as so long as you're honest with yourself and it doesn't and, and the one thing that like Harrison and I always talk about is that I'm not I'm I'm not saying these things to piss people off. I am saying them because that is that's my honest to God analysis. And that's the only time I really get annoyed with the criticism is that like when, when they say you're you're just a contrarian. No, I'm I'm really not. I just I didn't like the Lance Stevenson signing. I, I understand it, but there are other things like uh, – so for example, like the D'Angelo Russell trade. Mm-hmm. I know I don't have to convince you. I'm, I was and I still am a big believer in him as a prospect, mm-hmm. right? But in the aftermath of them signing LeBron and then at least putting themselves in the position to get – they didn't get the second max guy this summer, but they're in a really good spot. And I know yeah. you feel that way too. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you would argue. Is D'Angelo Russell, as much as I like him, even still as a prospect, is he worth lamenting at this point? Lamenting, no. And that's kind of the funny thing here is that, like, I, I've moved on. They got LeBron. Mission accomplished. As soon as they did that, now, I, I still think the process by which they got to there is a little iffy. And I think it, it kind of crept up a couple other times where, where teams are expecting them to now offer up Brandon Ingram to get rid of Timothy Mozgov's contract because they set the price for themselves. But, but they got LeBron. Mission accomplished. <laughs> and and it would it would be great. It would be a lot of fun to watch D'Angelo Russell and, and Lonzo Ball grow together. But I think it's gonna be a hell of a lot more fun to watch LeBron James on the on the team that I happen to root for. For sure. And and even to me, like we aren't we aren't informed on all of the process. My theory, and this is not this is a semi informed take, so if you don't think this is how it went down, I totally aggregators I at the ready. Better. Right, exactly. <laughs> is that they knew that they had a good good idea that LeBron wanted to come to the Lakers, and so at the time it was like, you know, why move a young prospect before you have to? Yeah. When in reality, if the Lakers were looking to tr- to try to sign LeBron and still had to move the Mozgov contract, say this summer, and that's putting aside like 
Josh Hart becoming a great pick and yeah. Kyle Kuzma, like what they did with the picks, right? That's put that aside. Yeah, that that really sets that trade in in a different light for, as well. For for sure. But if but putting that aside and deciding what they had to at the time, it was if they needed to move Mozgov, say on July first, would have been a lot harder to do that now and i was wrong about this at the time i thought oh you could just move him later why move him now to be able to convince lebron like hey we got you and we are going to be totally capable to get a star a, yeah. a second guy they had to make the deals that they had that they made moving russell and clarkson's contract specifically along with mozgov mozgov's contract obviously so to me that like if they knew that lebron was very strongly favoring them that makes the process in retrospect knowing or or speculating on what I think they knew then it makes it more palatable to me when at the time I agreed with you and I didn't like their process either. Yeah. I think one thing we're learning with NBA superstars is that they want as few balls in the air as possible. They want, as soon as they get somewhere, they want the plan in place. They want it to be in motion and I don't think you land LeBron if you don't if you if those balls are still up in the air. Oh yeah, we could move Russell to to move Moscow. That's a great way of putting it. You, yeah, you, they they want as much certainty as possible. So in in that respect, I think the the point stands. Uh, <laughs> that is not how the first segment was was going to go. <laughs> Sorry for my contribution to that. It's <laughs> no, cool. It's good. I think that was a good conversation. No. Um, we are going to for this show talk about the roster now that it is fully set. The Lakers have twenty guys heading into to training camp now that they have added Travis Ware as the final addition here. So what we're going to do over the next. 20, 30 minutes or so is talk about the rotation and, and, and talk about how this, this roster actually looks now that, and, and look, barring any kind of crazy trade, we don't, it, I don't think we're going to see anything like that, but you just never quite know because the NBA is the NBA. We had a trade, uh, an NBA, a top five player was moved at one thirty in the morning. So barring any kind of craziness, we're going to talk about the way this roster looks right now. We're going to take a quick second. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this starting with the guards. So as it stands right now, the Lakers are are sitting at in their guard rotation: Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo, uh, Gary Payton II. Apparently, is still on their is still on their their training camp roster. I didn't think he would does earn himself a a spot here, but for the most part, it seems like. And then you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope sitting at the two. Uh, Josh Hart sitting at the two as well. But the the one, I think the point that we need to make before we get into any kind of specifics here is that all of these guys are going to be moving all over the court at any given time. There are very few guys who are just a single position. I think maybe Rajan comes into that, though you never really know. But for the most part, their guards are pretty much you're going to play here, but you can you you'll be guarding all over the court. You'll be moving all over the court as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's I, I think they've really emphasized switchability in this roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'm taking it more on the defensive end than than you intended it, but uh, yeah, I think that that was very much like I think they're going to switch more than ever next year. Do so if that if that is the key here, especially defensively, they have the right pieces to be able to do that. Right. I mean, you have you have Josh Hart, who is built like 
a fire hydrant. <laughs> he, he can he can slide down and guard. For, it was it was incredible to watch him last year do this, and then he looked bigger this offseason. So one would imagine he'll be able to continue to do that. But my question is, like, with somebody like Rajon Rondo, how do you feel about him being able to switch in, in some of those situations there? That's a really good question. I probably need to watch more Rondo tape. I try not to talk out of my ass when uh, the opportunity is presented to me. I have not watched Rondo through the lens of can he switch. Um, so I, I know it's not great for a podcast, but I'll leave a, a, an uneducated no comment on that. I, I don't know. He's definitely the guy amongst the guards that I have the biggest questions about. Although KCP wasn't particularly good at that either mm-hmm. uh, this past season. Uh, that's That was kind of – that was the, if that's the lone question mark though, I would say then the guard rotation – is okay. I, yeah, I yeah. Like, like how many teams? Have, yeah, go ahead. How many teams? Have, how many teams have every guy be like, oh yeah, he could totally switch. Like even right. the Warriors. I mean, Steph gets picked on, right? Because he's smaller. They got slow-footed bigs that, like, yeah, you're gonna have a couple of guys, no matter what, that are not right. ideal for switching. Yeah, and and offensively, the concern here is with Lonzo and Rondo's shooting. Uh, is that? Do you think that will really come to light here? I, Rondo has made or made some strides last season, albeit in a tiny sample, and Lonzo was up and down all over the place last season. Josh Hart can knock down three pointers. KCP can knock down three pointers. But offensively, how do you like Rajon Rondo and Lonzo Ball's fit with what the Lakers? hopefully you're trying to do and actually I, I saw late last night I woke up this morning to this but I saw a couple points that you guys were making on Twitter about about what the Lakers are trying to do in and of itself right that the, the actual system here so can you quickly summarize that stuff and then talk about whether or not uh, Lonzo Ball and Rajon Rondo fit even the hypothetical system here yeah so what we were talking about last night or the point that I brought up is that kind of Luke's system has been more theory than reality. Uh, You know, I've spoken before about how the Lakers were 24th in passes per game. And a big part of that is they don't set good screens. They don't use them particularly well. Kind of like there's nothing wrong with the plays or sets that Luke runs. They're perfectly fine. It's more about teaching players how to play and how to go how to read off within those sets and plays. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is like the first action is really well conceived, really well thought out. And if that doesn't work out, which the defense's job is to make sure at the very least the first part doesn't work out, right? Is like, okay, what do you do if it, it we call them like if then scenarios, right? This is how you teach read and react basketball is if the defense does this, then you do that in order to beat it. Lakers young players are not particularly good at doing that. Now that's partially because they're young players, but I, I brought I always bring up Philly being a team that even when Brett Brown had young guys who weren't particularly talented, they were a top five passing team. Whereas so so that when the talent did show up relates to guys like Lonzo, Rondo, and even LeBron is to me, the two ways to get quality offense in the NBA is either via system and you still need good players, but you can create it via system or it's about having individual shot creators that can draw that second defender and distribute it to the open guy, kind of getting those odd number scenarios, which is where NBA teams really score. And, or I guess there's a third option running working in in transition or an early offense so often that 
you aren't really running many plays. I don't think Lakers are going to run many plays. And when they do, it's going to be kind of built around the shot creation abilities of LeBron James, Rajon Rondo and Lonzo ball, probably in that order with Lonzo's responsibilities being more in transition. Whereas Rondo and LeBron have more half court responsibilities. Yeah. That, that all sounds, there's nothing I can really add to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick second. And when we come back, we're going to talk to the roughly, was it 37 wings that the Lakers are sitting at right now? <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to that here in a bit. So I, I, was, I was facetious, obviously, in the last segment or, or, or in teasing this segment here, talking about the wings. I actually like that this has been such a priority for the Lakers to put as many wings as possible on a team together and and see how that might look. Uh, we could go through the names. Obviously, LeBron is is the the keyest among them. Ingram, Kuzma, uh, Lance Stevenson, Fima Kailuk. Uh Am I missing anybody here? I guess Michael Michael Beasley is more of a four slash five. And then and then go ahead. I'd call Josh Hart a wing, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so they have all of these options on the wing, and and this has been something that I've been harping on for years now. Is that for me, the most valuable assets in basketball are wings who can switch down and, and can hit three-pointers because the most valuable shots in basketball are dunks or three-pointers. That's what wings tend to focus on the most. And then being able to, to guard defensively multiple positions. Like I, I think if we were to go through teams that have won the titles over the last, I would say, decade or so, I would say all of them featured at least one absolute elite wing. And and I think that's a that's a trend that, you know, the Lakers obviously benefit from the fact that they have LeBron on their team. But they've it seems like they've noted that and they have built their team accordingly. Yeah, very much. One of the things I've always thought about this young core, and this may change as they get older and grow into those sorts of roles, is that having that sort of dominant wing, whether it was LeBron James or to a much lesser extent, a Paul George type of guy. Kawhi Leonard certainly fits this as well. I, but just having LeBron, I feel like pushes all of the other wings and all of the other players, honestly, into more natural roles for them. One of the things I, I did that piece for the athletic on the playmaking of Lonzo, LeBron and Rondo that came out today. And one of the things that I noticed in that is just like how often like half literally half of Lonzo's possessions were off of high ball screens or not high ball screens, but ball screens. And that's like not really what he does particularly well. Right. So that pushes him into a more natural role for Ingram. It was, I think, 38 and a half percent out of ball screens, which he can do. And he's good at it for a six, nine guy with a crazy wingspan. But is that what you want him doing more than anything else that he does? Probably not. And so having a guy like LeBron pushes guys like that into more natural roles. It means KCP has to dribble the ball less and can shoot more open jumpers. Kyle Kuzma can can use his cutting ability and his spot up ability. Uh, same thing with Josh Hart. And, and so, yeah, it just makes everything more natural for those other wings that I think had a little more responsibility than they should have past season, simply as as a function of the roster. My my one concern here, and and we can get into the centers after this, but especially with the wings, is that like I think 
I think Kuzma fits better with LeBron than Lance Stevenson does. I think I think Ingram Ingram's fit with LeBron is a little bit less natural, though he is more talented. And and my main concern here is that like so one of the one of the claims or defenses of the signings at the time was, well, they're just they're they're guys ten through fifteen. They are guys, you know, not even ten through fifteen, but ten through twelve or ten through thirteen. And and that's great. But that's not usually how things work in the NBA with veterans and free agent signings. So I guess here all I'm asking you to do is talk me off the ledge of we know that, 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 that Luke and the coaching staff and the front office aren't going to be prioritizing the wrong guys in this rotation here. Well, I don't know that. Uh, I'm very curious to see Luke usually likes to play 10 guys and he Mm -hmm. likes to have two distinctive units that will blend a little bit, but he by and large, his rotations have been 10 guys over the course of the last two years. The only time that has changed has been when they've been so injured where they only could for times last year, run eight or nine guys Mm -hmm. credibly. Um, so who those 10 guys are to me, I think, you know, the presumptive starters and we'll see if how open the competitions are, I think are Lonzo, KCP, Brandon, LeBron and, and JaVale McGee with your second unit, I think is probably Rondo, Hart, Lance, Kuzma and Zubats. Now that leaves your rookies in Wagner, Bonga and and Svi. I think that's OK for them not to start, although I think Svi is ready and I, I will be banging mm-hmm. that drum throughout the year. I, I, I understand that's not how it works to start a season at the very least. The one guy that I think is kind of like out in the cold there is Michael Beasley as a guy who thinks he should be getting minutes and, and played fairly well for the Knicks this past season. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's more about the minutes distribution within the 10 rather than concern that they're going to have the wrong guys. And I think that in having Lance, they do have one of the wrong guys to start out with. So I can't talk you off of that ledge. But I do think that if Josh Hart or Sfi like outplays Lance, I think they're going to take his minutes. Now, is that going to be a problem in the locker room and in things like that? Yeah, that's a valid concern in my opinion. But um, I, I, I do think those are the 10 that you're starting with. And the only one that I really disagree with there is Lance. And that's not insignificant, but I think you're talking probably two shifts per game. Yeah, it's when Lance is on the court, it's going to be mostly, okay, let's just try to survive this time and get him off the court. And, and, and you know, unfortunately that's – it that can change maybe he'll tweak his game to to better fit playing alongside lebron um he did work off of paul george who and and paul george and lebron are two two completely different players but they were they are elite wings and and lance played well off of those guys so maybe maybe it might not be a disaster i I think lance is a guy to me like i like lance's fit less than I like Lance. Like I think Lance in the right context can be a valuable contributor. I just don't think that context is this particular team, but I'm not anti Lance. It just, I think his best attribute is he can create a shot. So if you're talking about one of those second units that they, they defend well, they, they play well as a team, but they just don't have an individual guy that can kind of get his own or get a shot for other guys. That's the ideal circumstance for Lance. But when you're talking next to like Lakers going to have Rajon Rondo on the second unit, most likely. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have a guy like Kyle Kuzma who can score the hell out of the ball, especially for a, a second unit guy. If, if he doesn't win a starting job. So to me, a lot of what Lance could provide 
you lose that because you have guys who are better at what he already does. And then next to him, you got like a Josh Hart who can knock down spot up jumpers and showed in summer league that he can do a little bit more. So I just don't understand where Lance's value add on this team is more than me being anti Lance, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll just, I'll openly cop to being anti Lance, but those are for different reasons. Uh, we, we, uh, we should, we've spent a ton of time. We've talked a lot about the center position and the center rotation and how this is going to look. But, but basically what it seems to me is, as you said, JaVale McGee starting, uh, Zubats being the primary backup. And then depending on matchups and, and how important the game is, well, that's how we'll kind of figure out how much LeBron James plays down there at the five. And then, and then, look, people. For those of you who are asking, hey, where does Fee fit into this? We've kind of alluded to that a little bit. And Mo Wagner, where does he fit into this? And and Isaac Bonga filling out the the, the very 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 end of of the bench. Uh, those guys are, are they might see minutes in, in injury kind of situations, but for the most part, I, it's hard for me to see very many minutes. Maybe Wagner sne- sneaks in just out of necessity. Uh, if somebody gets hurt um, and and there are fewer people ahead of him on the on the depth chart but but the the center rotation is is pretty much going to be two and a half people deep right maybe three and a half people deep depending on on how much LeBron how open LeBron is to playing down there at the five I think that the roster was constructed with the idea of LeBron playing the five in mind Mm -hmm. I think they would have pursued guys maybe even broke or or but even other guys possibly more aggressively than they did i i think lebron is their like end of the first half end of the game big man i think he plays the five spot in the last six minutes of both halves and i think that everything's built around that i think you know zubats will probably start out in in the rotation and i think you know can wagner take his minutes can even i I don't like this idea but i I don't wouldn't discount the possibility of michael beasley playing some small ball five Mm -hmm. if they want to go that route in in certain certain scenarios so to me that that's probably how it ends up looking i think javel gets the first shift of the first quarter and the third quarter then zubats gets the second you know you know the in between quarters the end of the mm-hmm. first beginning of the second same thing in the second half and then lebron's closing closing halves to me that's how i think the center rotation shakes down but that you know that's I, I think where the lakers are weakest i would have loved to see them pursue another big man but i think there's no doubt in my mind that they did all of this with the intent of LeBron playing a significant amount of minutes at center. And look, if if it if it does, and this is what one of the executives said to Eric Pincus in his report for Bleacher Report was that if this isn't working out for any reason early on, well, we have we're flexible enough to be able to make moves. So as we approach the trade deadline, if say somebody like Robin Lopez becomes available, though I I would. It wouldn't shock me if the Lakers kind of burnt their bridges with the Lopez family as a whole. But we'll just say, hypothetically speaking, if the Lakers, you know, if if it's wearing on LeBron, the amount he's playing, the five that that maybe they can ship out. Would you ship out because Robin Lopez is expiring this year? Would you offer a, a first a conditional first round pick with Deng to to open up that? Would you would you go there for for what would be a rental in Robin Lopez to move off of Deng's money next season? 
I don't think so. Uh, Robin Lopez would make this team better, but I don't think he makes them a championship contender. And I think the Lakers are going to shoot their shot next summer. Mm -hmm. And what that means is having those assets, like a a conditional first, future first round picks, those are going to be used to get a third guy. I think their ideal scenario is to sign a Kawhi or a Jimmy Butler, or I don't think Clay's going anywhere, but they would love to have him. Mm -hmm. You know, guys of that ilk. Middleton is the name I've, I've pegged on my wall. Is Middleton in, in next summer? Is he is he uh-huh. available? Okay, he's a really good player. I don't know if he's a. Do you think he's a second star caliber? No, guy? no, he's a he's a tertiary guy. I think. Okay, yeah, I agree. I would agree with that. And then, so yeah, like I, I don't know how much I would give up for Middleton, but you know, ideally, not giving up. I, I, yeah, that, that's a different conversation. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I would have no objection to first round picks going out for that. And to me, like after you sign, say a Kawhi, and you know. You want to build your army of, of wings even <laughs> even more potent, right? And you want to go after Middleton too? Then, yeah, yeah you're going to need first-round picks to do that. So to me, Robin Lopez is a good player. He's an underrated player. But he doesn't move the needle enough to help the Lakers win a championship this year. So you keep that pick, in my opinion. Can we also just marvel at how angry NBA Twitter will be if LeBron is just perfectly okay with playing the five? <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna sign a four-year deal with the lakers and then play the five and Cavs twitter is just gonna be like what the fuck <laughs> exactly Cavs and miami eric spolster and tyron lou were just sitting right. there like what the come on <laughs> that that's the kind of stuff i live for yeah. um all right so any i guess that i don't see anybody of the the just straight training cap invites that i don't think they'll make any real noise there uh the lakers have 15 roster spots already going to people and i it, it would like it would shock me like legitimately shock me if travis Ware like outplayed michael beasley in in training camp or something like that yeah well i mean where is going to be around right he's yeah, on the two-way, two-way deal so he'll you know he'll get some run and i think what the lakers were looking to do with travis Ware and alex Cruz. so i think they're you know, like a Malik Newman, who was the initial signing that they had for the two-way deal, is sort of a development project. I think they changed courses with that. And rather than, hey, let's have a guy like this that may be a good player someday in on this type of deal and be like, hey, if guys get injured like they did last year, we can have a guy. Because Travis Ware is like, I think, 28 years old. And he is a better player right now than most of the 19 and 20 year olds that were drafted this year, right? He is in his prime. And we don't think of guys like Travis Ware having a prime, but they do. Everybody has a prime one way or another, right? And so he can step in and be, we saw it last year and be like, he gave credible minutes. He's not a great player, but he like, he didn't embarrass himself by any means and provided value as a shooter. So I think that's what they're going with Caruso. Like he's a perfectly fine third string point guard, fourth string point guard in your organization. And I think that's the direction that they chose to go with that. But no, he's not going to beat out a Beasley and get a guaranteed contract to get cut during training camp. Yeah, I I would, I would, I would agree. And, and look, I I think this was one of the points that I made last year or last night on the show was that with the guys that they've added, I think they tend to draft best player available, but it seems like they, in, in building through the draft, they have seemed to favor kind of the more finished projects or products. And, and that kind of enables them to as, and you've, you've mentioned this before too, right? Where you get production from rookie salary guys like that's really valuable that is a huge commodity and and while it would be great to kind of wait around and see how a project turns out 
for the most part, when you have LeBron James on your team, you need value up and down the roster, and those, and that's where older rookies make the most sense. Absolutely, and part of I, I have lost some of my taste for those project type of guys over the year, the years, because let's say Isaac Bonga, for example, who let's say best case scenario, he becomes a good NBA player at some point in his career. I'm skeptical, but let's just for argument's sake say mm-hmm. that by the time Isaac Bonga is at that point he's going to be off of his rookie contract anyway so you didn't get any of the value and that's part of where they have done a really brilliant job of leveraging those more experienced guys because a guy like josh hart or kyle kuzma they came in and they were they played above their contract right away you didn't have to wait for the third or fourth year of their rookie deal for like oh now now he's a good good player and you can do that for guys that have way higher ceilings say at the beginning of the draft right ingram lonzo ball guys like that where it's like oh well the payoff yeah we'll totally pay him big money on the second contract the payoff's way bigger than it is if you're falling to 25 35 you know are we going to draft a 19 year old for the purposes of by the time he's 21 22 years old he's okay yeah and then we have and to then pay you gotta him. pay him like, like you don't get any value out of that and so that's part of the brilliance of how they've put the roster together and i think that's reflected in the two-way contracts as well yep uh that'll do it though unless you have anything else to add on on the rosters uh, I, I i think it, i will just we'll just end on this this is, in my opinion, I've always kind of laughed at the people who said that this isn't a playoff team. Even with, even while, even while the, the look, I have, I have disagreed, obviously. I've said this a few times now with a couple of the signings along the way. But that doesn't take away from what this team is capable of doing. And so I guess my question to you is, where would your range be? for this team now that it's completely put together and now that you've now that the the rest of the NBA is kind of sort of put together at this point where do you see this team winding up so let's just for the sake of the hypothetical put aside the possibility of like a catastrophic injury to LeBron or right like like you can't predict those things Um, I think that the range of this team is between 47 and 53 wins is that too wide of a range do you want no no that's tighter than that yeah (laughs) that's i uh, i want a specific win total (laughs) are you wrong (laughs) and i will bring this up that happens sometimes (laughs) on very oh yeah oh yeah let the rec- Jerry Jerry does this crap all the time, man. Like, let the record reflect that on July fourteenth, two thousand fourteen, you said, oh, "Jerry, I wasn't even on Twitter then." I don't care. I have written record of it. <laughs> Freaking guy! Shout out, to Jerry. You're a good dude. He's. He, we're gonna get ads about this tomorrow. We, we definitely. Will. <clears throat> but but yeah, I would say I would say I would maybe go a little higher on the range. I I would okay. say that I would say maybe. But, but you hit the Lakers and Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant. I, I, well, that's what's funny thing. And babies and puppies and lollipops. What's, what's and funny is that like our friends who who cover Sunny other teams. <laughs> yes, Sorry, I, I'll stop. I hate puppies. I you know lollipop. Yeah, but my, all of all my friends or our friends who who cover other teams claim that I'm a Lakers stan. The the people in the Laker fan base claim that I hate the Lakers, so I think I'm doing something right in here. But I you're would, just you're just a dick with how you go about it. That's your problem. <laughs> we need to isolate that. You're just a. That's going to be the intro. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be the intro <laughs> for every show. From I, I, now. I'm really good at unintentionally getting really quality drops out of things that I say. Uh, but yeah, I would say I would say 49 
and I think they're capable of because I really believe in this young core, and I re- I really think that like I think Josh Hart the way that he set a tone with his improvement this summer. I think that's the kind of thing that resonates across the organization. And if this team was ever going to be to be able to reach its full potential, it was going to be on the back of the kids anyway. And these kids all look like they want to work. They all want to make this work. And because I believe in because I believe and I, I call them kids, they're all grown ass men. But but I because I believe in the young core, I, I, I think they're capable of winning 55 ish games just because just because. A wins in Eastern like Eastern like I I think LeBron helps you beat teams that you should beat, and and he's going to improve. And the other thing too with when you're relying on kids is you want to you want to make your margin for error as big as possible, and that's what LeBron James does. And so you you add all this stuff up, and and would it it would surprise me somewhat if they reached fifty five ish wins. I think. You know, they'll be a little lower than that. I have my range between 49 and 55. But if they reached it up there, I wouldn't I wouldn't run around and, oh, my God, nobody should have seen this. I don't I don't think we'll we'll get that spot for sure. And I, I think just one last thing to your point about how LeBron helps you beat teams that you should that you should beat. I also think their style of play does that mm-hmm. in that they especially when guys are healthy they are not – they're rarely lethargic. That yeah. was something that stood out to me last year. And a lot of times when the Lakers lost to teams that they shouldn't have lost to, Lonzo specifically was out of the lineup. They'd had, they had a couple of losses against like Memphis mm-hmm. that where, where he was out. And you saw that with a Cleveland team, even with LeBron. You know, he's going to take nights off or go yeah. – <clears throat> you know 40 percent or or whatever but when you have a certain style of play that you play every night that i think is one of the benefits of that up tempo and, and rondo adds to this that was one of the things that really surprised me from watching him on tape because i always in my mind had him as a guy that dribbled 100 times in the half court and ran some half court set he was great in transition last year and mm-hmm. making a lot of those same hit aheads that lonzo makes and like really incorporated that while still keeping that floor general type of stuff in his game so they're going to be like go 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 i don't think they're gonna have a lot of nights where like uh they just don't have any zest for the game that night i just don't think their style of play allows for it yeah and and i think this doesn't i don't think this has been said quite enough lebron james has spent this entire summer hearing about whether or not the lakers are going to make the playoffs this dude's been in the finals for what eight times in a row and 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 this is how superstars of his caliber think He's taken, I would guarantee you, he's taken personal offense to the fact that he is going to be going to the the franchise in the entire NBA that has been capable of winning championships throughout all kinds of decades and all kinds of eras of basketball. And now somehow he's not going to be able to make the playoffs. Like, playoffs? Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like, I, I think I, I that... That I don't think has been quite mentioned enough. How annoyed I would imagine he's been with the narrative surrounding his move to Los Angeles, and uh, and that'd be like on those nights, especially early on in his time in Cleveland, where 
the team would be kind of sluggish or whatever, and he would just kind of say, oh, whatever, we'll make up for it because I'm in the Eastern Conference. It doesn't matter. I think he recognizes how important it is in the Western Conference to win as often as you possibly can. And because of the stuff that he's been hearing all summer, like just, I think the, the beginning of this season is going to be really, really fun to watch because he's going to come out and he's just, he's going to be in full on ass kicking mode. And, and that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> like, I'm looking forward to LeBron just kicking a bunch of ass. And yeah, I think this team energizes him, both yeah. in the style of play that I was talking about and yeah. then just being around like this. They, they've got a really cool culture, culture in place, and I think that he's going to feed off of that. Yep, absolutely. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And then as we move into, Pete and I are going are, are gonna to start getting competitive with each other. We were going to do the the non-Hall of Famer draft today, but we figured we may as well talk about actual Lakers stuff on one of the rare occasions that we actually can. Uh, but you're going to... I guarantee you when we start competing against each other, we'll, a couple F-bombs might drop about about why I think Sedale 3 is is underrated on, on the team that I draft. Uh, I, I, I'm going to kick your ass. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly my point. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. And, uh, and we will talk to you again next week.